to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up what is lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker from what, that which he does that he toils? I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart. Yet so that a man will not find out how the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, it is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it, and there's nothing to take away from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That which is has been already, and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. Good morning. We're going to begin our worship service this morning with singing My Savior's Love. <clears throat> Just the Nazarene and wonder. 
know, when Sarah Beth first mentioned that song to me back in the fall, I thought, yeah, you can do it like in February or March when we do communion. Because, you know, I was thinking wine, communion, that's where my brain went. But then she texted me last week and she's like, I need to sing that this Sunday. And, you know, what a perfect song to start your year off with. Did you catch those first words in that song? Through the crushing and the pressing. You know, Neil kind of touched on this last week, so I'm like, or it might have been Bryson actually in youth, but no one said that choosing a life that followed God was going to be easy ever. Mm. If you think about those, those verbs, right, they're crushing and pressing. Those are harsh words, you know, very harsh. But as harsh as those sound, it's nothing compared to the sacrifice that took place at Calvary. You know, and what a powerful thought to think that the things that crush us and press us in life are actually just building us to become an offering and better yet to become a vessel, a vessel, something that can be used by God for his kingdom. You know, that, that took a lot of love for not only that price we paid at Calvary, but for him to love us enough to not just say, okay, go for it, but for him to take time to crush us and press, press us to build our testimony. You know, that takes a real personal God to love us that much. Um, and his love for us is so deep. If you'll stand with us, we're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us. And as we sing it here in 2019, I encourage you to think about the words as you sing it. Think about the price that was paid as we just kind of set our hearts um, ready for this brand new year. Shame, I hear my mocking voice. 
we sing the chorus of Jesus paid it all with me? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for all that you did in 2018, God. But, Lord, may it be a year that we put behind us just because we come to you this morning, Lord, as a new offering, God. Lord, as, as Christians who are ready to be crushed and pressed and uplifted and encouraged in whatever you have for us this year, God, Lord, may we prepare our hearts for it, Lord, and may we stay faithful to you, God, Lord. May we stay um, faithful to you in prayer and in attention, God. Lord, in love and in dedication, Lord. God, may this be a different year because may it be one that we trust you in everything that we don't understand and may we praise you in everything that we struggle with, God. Lord, may you have your way. Open our hearts and clear our minds as we prepare for this message, God. May your words be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Children are dismissed with Miss Gina for Children's Church. Amen. Thank you so much, Catherine, for leading us in songs that I know not only are worshipful in themselves, but prepare us for what God will say to us in His Word. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Actually, chapter 5, beginning with verse 20. Because we are going back to 2 Corinthians, which is the book that we were studying before Advent, before Christmas. So we took a break through Advent to re-examine the birth of Christ, the gift that Jesus is to us through the Incarnation. And now as we turn our minds to 2019, we are going to continue to celebrate the gift of Jesus and live our lives in response to it. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 20. If you're like me, you hate to waste gifts. It's very frustrating. Several years ago at one of my wife's family Christmases, we had the big gift opening. And as always, a few minutes later, we rush outside and we have a, a fire, <laughs> a burn pile. And we take all the paper and all the leftovers and we burn all, the, all that trash up. Well, one year, someone accidentally allowed a few gift cards. <laughs> which had been given to be in the burn pile. And we searched vainly for the gift cards, but I tell you one thing we do is now when someone gets a gift card, they're sure to put it in their pocket or their wallet. And we jokingly say to this day, no gifts on the burn pile, right? It's frustrating to waste Paul's going to say to the Corinthians, don't waste the grace of God. He says to the Galatians that he is determined not to frustrate the grace of God. So our thought this morning is going to be, how has God been gracious to us and what must we do to make sure that we do not waste the infinite grace of God toward us in Christ? So... Back to 2 Corinthians, we finished chapter 5 about a month ago, or maybe more. 
So I'm going to pick up with verse 20, then go into chapter 6, because I think it all ties together. Paul says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. So we have a ministry to represent Christ to the world, to be God's ambassadors for His kingdom. And that God is doing something in us and through us. He's, he's entreating people, and Paul says what that is. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Become right with God. And here's why. Verse 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul says, think about what God has done for you in Christ. He made one who had no sin become sin on your behalf so that you might be reconciled to God, counted righteous before holy God. Then he continues this thought. So, chapter 6, verse 1, working together with him, and that him there is God. Working together with God, we also urge you, Corinthians... Glenlockians, by implication. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, and he quotes from the book of Isaiah, At the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no cause for offense in anything, in order that the ministry, in order that the ministry might not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. So he's already said we're workers with God, and now he says we're servants of God. Then he then listen to his list of difficulties, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. Verse 6 has a change of tone and direction. In purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. In the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true. As unknown yet well known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death. As sorrowful but always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. And then we'll conclude with this phrase. As, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Father, what a wealth of grace you show us just in this passage. That you've offered to us, bestowed upon us. Our prayer today is that we would hear Paul's warning and his urgency that we would not waste the life you've given us, the salvation you've given us, the new year you've blessed us with, 
the breath in our lungs and the strength in our bodies. God, may we see all of that as gifts of grace from you. May we be urged today to see the gospel and to live out the grace that that is toward us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A song we sang earlier said, How wonderful is our Savior's love to me. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How wonderful, how marvelous. We sing that and we feel that when we sing it, but do we appropriate that into our lives and are we amazed on a regular basis of God's great grace to us? Sometimes I think, obviously, we are not all that amazed. If you look at our complacency, our apathy, our lack of focus, our going through the motions, and the things we know are vital, like prayer and Bible reading and worship and service, our critical judgmental spirits, our resentfulness, our bitterness, our lackluster behavior. I'll be honest, I was describing my favorite football team, the Georgia Bulldogs, <laughs> as I saw them waste the sugar bowl this past week <laughs> with a lot of the very words I just read. Complacency, apathy, lack of focus, going through the motions, lackluster performance. Maybe was that without the resentfulness, the bitterness... <laughs> And maybe I'm giving the critical judgment. But I digress. I'm wanting us to see as believers how wonderful God has been to us. And one of the reasons you've got to keep showing up to church is that you need to be confronted every week with how sinful you are and also how wonderful God is in His grace to us. We forget those things. Which is why we are commanded regularly, regularly not only to worship and to feed upon the word of God and the gospel, but to, to break the bread, okay, and to pour out the cup that symbolizes the great grace of God toward each one of us. So here's my message today, Corinthians, and people like you and me. Let's hear what Paul says and let's don't waste the grace. First, we've got to understand what is the grace of God toward us. Someone has once described it as God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E, an acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. God made one who knew no sin to become sin, and God treated him as sin by pouring out his wrath upon him at Calvary so that I could be forgiven. So that I could have new life and be counted as righteous before him. And have all the blessings that come with that. God's riches at Christ's expense. One commentator described it like this. A free gift from God. Because grace is not grace if it is not free. A free gift from God entirely undeserved on our part. Depending totally on God's will. In fact, he's also extended mercy. He's withheld what we did deserve to give us his grace. God blessing where he is not bound to bless. Two aspects of this I don't want us to forget, and I'll just give this in passing as we go into the message. 
Remember that God's grace involves both his choosing love and his keeping love. God's electing love and his sustaining love. In other words, not only has God set his love on you and chosen you, but even after he's done that, he is going to keep you until the very end. So God sees me, he chooses me, and he loves me. And then even though he knows the best and the worst of me, he, he keeps me through it all. His love not only chooses, but it sustains. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He said in John chapter 10, there's nothing that can take him out of my hand. Now we as humans, because we're not God, we lack the capacity to love as he loves. Therefore, we ought to stand amazed. And we ought to rejoice at how wonderful is his electing love and his keeping love. So what do we do in response to such love? I want to give us four commands, four instructions, four ways to relate properly to grace. Number one, you need to receive it by faith. Number two, you need to rely on it through the difficulties of life, and there are going to be difficulties. Number three, you need to release the grace you have received to other people because as you do that, grace multiplies in your own life and in the lives of others. Grace has a boomerang effect and that you can't give it away without more coming back to you. And then you need to reach for it and hope for it because there's there's more grace to come. The Bible promises that... He's got new and better and more wonderful things for the Christian, not only all the way to heaven, but in heaven there's going to be all things new and infinite grace. So the best is yet to come. Number one, you need to receive this grace by faith. Paul's assumptions is that the Corinthians have received it by faith. The book of Romans says that it is by faith that we stand in the grace which we have received. Receive it by faith. Of course, that implies understanding it, which I hope I've done in a sense already by describing God's love for us in Christ. In sending His Son, He lived a perfect life. He died the death I should have died. He was raised from the dead and, 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 and is, is ascended and is at the right hand of God interceding for us now. So my question to you is the grace that God has offered in Christ, have you by faith received it? Paul's urgency is expressed in verse 2. One of the dangers in relationship to grace is to run from it, deny that you, den- that you even need it, or delay your receiving of it. Jonah ran from God. Okay, And God gave him the grace of a ministry and a responsibility. And we know the story of Jonah. He ran from it. The Bible says he continued to go down and then down and then down. If you trace his steps, he ran to the point where God eventually had to send a sea monster, a whale, to to rescue him. And God's grace, which was pursuing him, caught him and brought him back. But I learned from Jonah, as I hope you do, that to run from God is to go in the wrong direction. King Herod, we looked at him last week. He tried to to kill grace. 
He didn't want a ruler and a shepherd over him. He saw no need of Christ, even though he had the scriptures right there before him, telling him where he could go like the wise men. Today is Epiphany, where the church calendar is to study and celebrate the search and discovery of the wise men for grace. Herod, he didn't need God's grace. So he thought. So he tried to kill grace. Jonah ran from grace. I think sometimes we presume on grace. One commentator said, Delay is a decision in the wrong direction. Do it now. Now is the time of salvation. Today is the day to be saved. This quote says that God is listening and God will help. And help is only a prayer away. Have you ever come to the point in your life where by faith you reached up and said, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't climb up to heaven, but you've come down to me in Christ. I want to receive your grace by faith. Don't waste it. God is personally inviting you through the gospel into his family and into his kingdom. And you receive this great gift. You open it by faith, by believing it. By believing all that we've said about Christ. And by believing that you desperately need it. Bishop J.C. Ryle put it like this. Faith. Here's another acronym. My second of the day, I guess. Forsaking all, I trust Christ. Forsaking all, I trust Christ. Faith is the hand of the soul that reaches for Christ while the sinner is drowning. Faith is the eye of the soul that looks to Christ after borrowing the Lesson from the Old Testament, being bitten by the serpent and looking to Christ and being healed. Faith is the mouth of the soul that's starving and feeds upon Christ. Faith is the feet of the soul that runs to Christ as a strong tower to be saved from whatever enemy is pursuing. Faith is the hand, the eye, the mouth, the feet of the soul that seeks for safety and salvation in Christ. Paul now has a new identity. He was Saul who was murdering and hating and killing Christians. And he hated the church. And Jesus pursued him and rescued him and said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Paul understood that grace. After having been Saul, he became Paul. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not going to waste the grace. I'm going to believe it, and I'm going to work with it, and I'm going to celebrate it. It dominated Paul's sense of self-understanding and self-awareness. So now, he says, I'm working together with God. I'm in the ministry. I'm a servant of God. He received it all by faith. The second thing we need to do, and Paul points this out, is not only do we need to receive it, receive the grace, verse 1, but apparently we're going to face difficulties. 
And as we face these difficulties in life and in ministry, in life for everyone in general because we're sinners living in a sinful world, but specifically in ministry because, as Catherine pointed out so well, God's ultimate goal is to form us to be like Christ and to have Him formed in us. And so he, he will break us and He will mold us and He will discipline us. So Paul talks about these struggles. The question is not whether or not we're going to struggle. It's what am I going to rely upon during the struggle to be sustained and saved through it? There are other options besides relying upon God and His grace. They're not good options. They make the situation not better but worse. So Martin Luther said, Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is your God. So as Paul goes through these struggles, he knows his heart is going to cling to Christ. He's going to confide in Christ because Christ is his God. So let's think for a minute in the text. I want to point this out because there are three areas in which struggles and difficulties come to us. So notice in the text, if you are still with me, in verse 4 he begins to open up these phrases. And there are three areas in which our struggles come to us, and they're going to come to us in 2019. You haven't written them in your calendar yet, but they're coming. First, there are general struggles that are just general because they're out there, and he calls these afflictions, hardships, and distresses. The daily grind. Then there are struggles that come to you because others have put them on you. You didn't do anything, but happened to maybe even be the wrong place at the wrong time. But look at what Paul mentions. Beatings, imprisonment, tumults. These are because people hated the gospel and they hated Paul and they hate the light. They hated Jesus, so he said, don't be surprised if they hate you. And if you identify with them, the world's going to hate you because it hated him. So there are general struggles. There are struggles from others. Then there are self-imposed struggles. Labor, sleeplessness, and hunger are three that he mentions. And what Paul means by this is he says, I love Christ. I'm loyal to Christ. Therefore, I'm going to work hard for Christ. Look at what Christ has done for me. I'm going to work and I'm going to serve and I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in me both to will and do for his good pleasure. I'm going to lose some sleep. <laughs> I'm willing to do without sleep for the sake of the gospel, Paul. I'm willing to go hungry for the sake of the gospel. So Paul expresses endurance through the difficulty by relying upon the grace of of Jesus Christ. He knows that it's grace that's brought him safe thus far. It's going to be grace that's going to bring him home. What Paul has found is what you will find and what, and what I have found that in our weaknesses, he is strong, very strong, and sufficient. And notice the effect that Paul mentions that these struggles and difficulties have, that God is growing you, refining you. And so there are some things that he mentions later on. I want to point this out in verse 6 and 7. Notice when I mention the change of tone, he goes from these difficulties and these struggles to some good things, things that all of us should desire. 
Some noble things, spiritual things, things that may be on your list of, hey, I want to be this in 2019 because I lacked it in 2018. Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the work of the Holy Spirit, genuine love, the word of truth, the power of God, Weapons, because there's enemies within and without of righteousness for the left hand and the right. Did you see what he worked out? The difficulties and the struggles God sustains him through through to create the effect of the person of Christ in him. First the cross, then the crown. First the crushing and the bruising, and then the new wine, to borrow from the song earlier. There are no crown bearers in heaven who are not cross bearers below. Spurgeon said that. Paul said that. Then he goes through another list. This is the third list under point number two. Stay with me. So then he goes through the contrast between how the world sees him on one hand, on one level, and how God estimates him on another we got these difficulties and God's working these spiritual realities in our lives like purity and love and kindness. Paul says God's developing our character through the difficulties we go through. But that's not all. Look. To some he's glorious, to others he's dishonored. Who wants to be like the Apostle Paul? They were questioning his apostleship and his leadership because his life looked so awful. Look at verse 8. Some were giving about Paul an evil report. But God in heaven was that Paul, he's doing very good. He would say of Paul, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul says, look, on one hand, you've got an evil report on me, but go check God's report. I'm doing good in that class. I'm not doing so good in math, but I'm really good at PE, right? We, we play that game sometimes, don't we? Look, you regard me as a deceiver, yet God, God regards me as true. You think I'm unknown? Oh, but God counts me as well known. You see me as dying, yet behold, we live. Right now, you see me punished, <laughs> And I am, but I'm not put to death. Right now, there are things in my life that I'm sorrowful over, and you should be. But yet, I'm always rejoicing, because greater truths are there. You count me as poor, and he was. But boy, he made many people rich, did he not? Rich in what matters most, rich in the accounts of God. You count Paul, he says, as having nothing, yet because he was in Christ, because whatever was Christ was Paul, Paul could say, look, I have absolutely nothing, but on the other hand, I have absolutely everything. So you see what he's done? He's relied upon Christ. He's relied upon the cross. He's relied upon God's estimation of who he is to give him his strength and his identity and his endurance Through it all. And here's the message about grace. Not only do you need to receive it for salvation, 
But you need to daily rely upon grace for the strength and endurance that God will give you to sustain you and to form you and to reach the ultimate goal, which is to become like Christ. Because I could read through this text and read Jesus back into every single bit of it. Yeah, many thought Jesus was a deceiver as well, yet he was true. In fact, he was truth. Many considered him to be nothing and unknown, yet he was very well known. God said about him, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Was he dying on the cross? Absolutely, and he died. Yet, behold, on the third day he lived. He was punished, but not put to ultimate death. Because God was pleased with his son and his work. Jesus had sorrow and grief and difficulty and pain and cried real tears. But there was a sense in which the Son was always rejoicing to do the Father's will. He was counted as poor, born in a manger, born in Bethlehem, counted as nothing. Yet he made many rich, including you and me. And boy, look at Christ dying with absolutely nothing. And at the same time possessing all things. So you see how working back through Jesus and the gospel, it strengthens you for the difficulties which will be ahead not only in 2019, but your whole life. So how are you going to make it? Who are you going to trust in? What are you going to rely on? I have a friend named Hugh Mitchell. I graduated with Hugh Mitchell in 1988, back in the dark ages. I noticed this past week on social media, Facebook to be exact, Hugh Mitchell had posted something that a lot of people apparently were posting, their likes and their dislikes, entering into 2019. Now, all of us have likes, and all of us have dislikes. So my friend and brother Hugh Mitchell posted on his Facebook page this week his dislikes. I read through Hugh's dislikes. I found that they were a lot of my same dislikes. <laughs> and after reading through them, I told Hugh, I said, Hugh, that, that stuff will preach. You want to hear some of his dislikes? I'm thinking, nah, <laughs> I don't know if we got time, preacher. <laughs> well, too bad. I'm in control of the <laughs> length of the sermon. <laughs> Hugh Mitchell's dislikes. Laziness. Procrastination, clutter, sloppy work habits, doing the same things over and over, talking down to other people, gossiping, not following through on what you say you'll do, not getting the order right at the drive-thru, chicken or beef livers, eye-rolling, Foul language, believing things are as they appear. And I've got a scripture verse for every single one of these except for the chicken and beef livers. <laughs> that may be the only thing. Because I think not, not getting the order right at the, at the drive-thru violates some scriptural command somewhere. Surely. But what I liked about what my friend Hugh did is he said, you know... He said, I don't like these things in me either. He says, these are things that I struggle with personally. I don't like them in other people. 
Well, we can come up with a list a mile long of what we don't like about other people. But do you have the strength and character and humility to look at yourself and say, I don't like these things in me. So I said, Hugh, I, 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 may, I may share some of those. He says, listen, you share those. And then he added this, and that's why I'm sharing it. He says, you can share those dislikes, but then you, you point them to Jesus. You point them to Jesus. But why do we need to be pointed to Jesus? Because he's the only one who can save us from ourselves and our sins and all the guilt and shame and frustration we feel with all the dislike that we have. And see, here's the rub. Not only do you need pointing to Jesus to make it to heaven and to be saved from hell and judgment, but you and I need pointing to Jesus every single day. And I think that's what the church has missed. Sure, I've got my salvation, then I can go and live however I want to. That is, that is wasting grace. That frustrates grace. So not only do I need to receive it, but I need to rely upon it. And then, while I rely upon it individually, while I recognize my need to feed upon grace and grace and grace then I'm able to release it into the lives of others and become a grace giver. So here's my challenge, here's my encouragement, because this whole message from Paul had an other-centered focus. And what I mean by that is that it wasn't just about Paul receiving grace, it was about the Corinthians giving grace. In ministry and in service and difficult. In fact, I'll be willing to say that if you don't give grace to others, then that's proof that you really don't understand the grace that has first been given to you. So are you a grace giver? Are you forgiving? Are you gracious? Are you uncritical? Are you working on your own dislikes as you focus on the dislikes in others? And then I'll, I'll just touch on the last one, the last two, actually, the, to release the grace. And then let me say this in closing. Not only to receive it and rely upon it and release it to others, but to reach for it every day. And here's what I mean by that. Paul says regarding our salvation that, that, that one of God's purposes is to, in the ages to come, show us the goodness of his grace. In other words, he's given you a great gift, but this gift opens up all the gifts. And so every single day, you and I live expecting and hoping and waiting. Because for the child of God, the best is truly yet to come. Not just in heaven, but every single day. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easier. I'm not saying it's going to be more comfortable. I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be more material, materialistically prosperous. Because sometimes that's the opposite case. But you and your soul and your heart will continue to thrive and rejoice and have the things that Paul says God is developing in you. So I'm going to use Jeff Root as an example and close with this. Wednesday night at Bible study, we were in the book of Mark. And we're studying about how God, through Jesus, prepared the way for the Passover and the triumphant entry and all that went before Jesus. God was in total control of all that. 
God had already laid out the specifics and the details so that when Jesus told his disciples, hey, you go in that village ahead of you, and you're going to see there a donkey, and there's going to be a little colt tied to that donkey. You go into that village, and when they ask you, what are you doing with that colt and that donkey? You tell them, the Lord has need of that little colt and of that donkey. Because Jesus, the King of kings, is going to ride into Jerusalem in the triumphant entry and fulfillment of all the promises that God made generations and years before that little colt tied up. God put it there. And God put it there for a reason. A sovereign, divine reason. So that Jesus could come into Jerusalem humble and mounted, not only on a donkey, but on the colt, the foal of a donkey that had never been ridden before. So we worked all through that in Bible study. We drew out the implications. And Jeff Rude goes to pray. And I've told y'all before, sometimes the prayers from this pulpit after the sermon to me are better than the sermon itself. And if you're listening, you've noticed that a few times. But Jeff bows his head to pray and he says, Lord, something like this. I'm not going to quote you word for word because my memory's not that good. This was my interpretation. Lord, I'm going to keep hoping, I'm going to keep reaching. Because I know you've got a colt tied up for me somewhere. God, I know you've got something for me ahead that's good. I like that. I was encouraged by that. Because some of you entered in 2019, you don't know what's going to happen. I've seen it so many times. You've already had difficult years and difficult days. But you want you to keep reaching for grace. Because if God was so good that he would give his son for you while you were his enemy, while you by nature didn't want to have anything to do with him, you didn't want him ruling you and you didn't want him shepherding you. You had said to God, hey, I'll rule my own life and I'll take care of myself. I don't need a ruler shepherd. God loved you anyway. And he chose you anyway. And he's going to keep you anyway. And he's never going to let you go. If God did that for you at your worst, you know, you know, he's got a colt tied up for you somewhere. So never get up. Never give up. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep reaching for the grace that is to come. The future grace that he's promised. The way you keep reaching is keep looking back and seeing what he's already done. He's already done the most important, most eternal, most difficult, most costly, most sacrificial, most beautiful thing that's ever been done. God came down and died for us and took the judgment we deserve upon himself. And if he's done that, then the best truly is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For the grace you've shown us, forgive us. Because days go, go by in which we frustrate grace by not, by not relying upon it, by not releasing it to others, and by not reaching for it ourselves to, to empower daily joy, daily sustaining. We do not control the future. We do not know what the rest of this day brings. But God, we know that you do. And you've proven your sovereignty, and you've proven your goodness. 
So may we turn from anything and everything else we may be relying upon and instead rest completely and solely in faith and obedience on you and on your precious Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. It is well with my soul. Is it well? You receiving grace, relying upon grace? As we sing this song, you do work with the Lord.
our ushers come forward, we'll take our offer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. There's just so much to give you thanks for. I think the most important thing we need to give you thanks for is your grace. I thank you for the grace which you've given me in my life that not only saves me, but sustains me throughout the day. Thank you for the peace that's inside my heart, and I thank you for the mercies you show me when I stumble. Uh, one thing I learned today uh, in the message, Lord, and I hope everyone else learned it as well, is that we give grace, it comes back to us. Uh, so just help me throughout the week, throughout the rest of my life, extend that grace you've extended to me. Now comes the time of service, Lord, we offer up a portion of our, the blessings you've given us, Lord. We just pray that you take them and bless others the way you blessed us with them. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who paid the price so that we can have your grace, your mercy, and peace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Amen.